The streaming industry has some big names at the top, with Netflix and Amazon Prime both boasting over 150 million worldwide subscribers each. But that has not stopped Hollywood giant Disney throwing its hat into the streaming ring with its latest project, Disney+. Plus. Only launching at the end of 2019, Disney Plus already has nearly 95 million subscribers and offers a package driven by some of the world's biggest franchises, such as Star Wars and Marvel Studios. And only last week, it handed the new Star Package to the service, boosting its catalogue of shows and introducing some more original programming. And so today, we will discuss Disney's first year in the streaming market, asking what it has done so well so far and how it compares with the more experienced competitors. We will be joined today by Not Your Normal Financial Regular and IC tech and media expert Lauren Almeida and have interviews with Walter Price from Allianz Technology Trust and film critic Carice Lowry to listen to. From the Investors Chronicle, I'm John Human, And I'm Megan Boxall. Welcome to Not Your Normal Finance Show. I'm excited about this discussion. I'm sure you are. I know, I know this is your favourite company on, on numerous levels. On so many levels. It was, uh, it was my dad's birthday yesterday and I gave him Bob Iger's book. It's called Ride of a Lifetime. I might have a read of it when he's done to uh, add it to our further reading catalogue because it looks like a good one. I'm surprised you haven't read it already. I, I haven't read it already. <laughs> Disgraceful. What do you call yourself a Disney fan? It is. They just do everything so well. Even the book, it feels really nice. It's got like a rubbery um, book cover. It's just, a, it's great. Um, yeah, so obviously we're talking about streaming today. I asked producer John if we could start the discussion specifically talking about Disney Plus because, I mean, they, it's just, it's it's brilliant. They, I think, I think they have come close to getting it exactly right, even down to the day that it launched in uh, early 2020, just as in the UK in early 2020, just as everything went into lockdown. Yeah, the time, the timing was absolutely magnificent. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I mean, I remember signing up before thing had even launched, I, mm. I, I think, and I've never, ever done that before. There I was paid a, a whole real, year There was front. a real buzz around this yeah. thing. Yeah, I paid my whole year up front um, subscription because they, they had an offer on. I never do that. Normally just a try it out kind of thing and see what it's like. But I just thought, why not pay? Because it, it really wasn't very much either. No, but the price is going up. Yeah, like, I, 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 think that's I didn't cost- actually realise that until just now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure you're, uh, you're, you'll keep paying given, given that you are a mega fan. Um, is that I, fair to say? I am a mega fan, but actually... One of the questions is, will I keep paying now, having watched almost all of it? Um, and I suppose that's a question that um, the company is has been asking itself for the last few months as well, which is potentially why they've added a load more titles in the last week in this new stream, the Star Package. Um, Lauren, what what's... What have they said about that announcement and and the continued growth of Disney Plus and whether it's worth the seven pounds ninety nine a month rather than five pounds ninety nine a month, which was what it was? Yeah, the, the Star Package is interesting. From from my understanding, it's meant to target a more adult audience because they've got loads to entertain kids, um, especially because they have to you know learn from school, learn from home rather than school, um, spending more time in the house. But um, there's there's not as much for for adults. Um, apart from kind of nostalgic watchings of, of Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and the rest of it. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of why the the price is is going up now. Um, but it's interesting because Disney does have, as as we said earlier, loads of stuff that can appeal to adults. It's got all of the Star Wars films on there, and it's also got um, really great Mandalorian se- series on there as well, which is basically why a lot of people signed up in the first place when it first launched because they were peddling that Mandalorian series. Um, and they've got a Marvel spin-off series like WandaVision, which is great too. Um, so yeah, I suppose that kind of push into new content is is about getting those hardcore Marvel and Star Wars fans to sign up and, and keep coming back for more with the series that they're launching as well. They're, they're launching new Star Wars series and they've got um, more Marvel series um, coming up as well. So yeah, but for some people, £7.99 a month is not is not that bad if you're getting kind of cinema quality stuff directly onto your TV screen. I, I signed up for the Mandalorian. That that was the reason I bought it. And uh, what were two seasons in now? Uh, I must admit, I haven't been disappointing. It is it is incredible. I mean, it's it's just. I, I think the guy behind it is uh, Jean Favreau, the director, who's also really the brains behind a lot of the Marvel films as well. Um, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely top notch. It's One Division, which I'm also watching, the first Marvel series on Disney Plus. They they have got the other spin out ones like Agents of Shield. That's but it's, but it's but the first yeah, one they've it's, done. Yeah, I think it's the first exclusive Disney series that they've done on yeah. their on their streaming service. Yeah, I mean, funny enough, I actually signed up to Netflix in the first place for for the Marvel stuff as well. Hmm. Um, I think they had they had like Daredevil. It was some of the sort of weirder, yeah, weirder Marvel universe characters that 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 um, that Marvel hadn't really explored themselves. Um, obviously, they're not on Netflix anymore. Um, but but you know th- these these brands do have massive appeal, massive appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they they really do, and I think that is um, that is the Bob Iger legacy, which I'm sure he talks about in this book, which I will no doubt read at some point. But and that's what he did, which has turned Disney into it was always it was always a good company, but it's turned it into a franchise company, which has the most valuable intellectual property spanning so many different markets and they can squeeze so much profit out of out of all of this ip and i think that was made really really clear this year with what happened obviously with coronavirus and the theme parks which are normally a big chunk of their business and but without the theme parks disney's share price continued to grow even though it didn't have that enormous part of its revenue but it also it was because it was busy making money out of all of its other out of its other divisions. It didn't it didn't have cinemas either. So between theme parks and cinemas, those are far and away the biggest chunks of revenue for Disney. But add in the revenue that they have gained from their streaming services and from licensing the brand in toys and in games and in all the different ways that you you the, the Disney brand is licensed across. Classic Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and the Star Wars franchises, and it is an absolutely amazing business model, which I, I think will continue to thrive, even given the challenges of this year. Mm. So, so, how's this? How's this translating uh, on the uh, the financial front? What are the, what are the numbers look like? Cause I presume you both had a had a look at their latest uh, latest figures. Yeah, they they had a. But I mean, the theme park closures kind of cost them about two point six billion in, in operating income, which is massive. Mm. And they haven't uh, they haven't made a profit yet from from Disney Plus. I think that they're targeting twenty twenty four as as a when they when they do finally make a profit with Disney Plus, and b when they aim to become as big as Netflix, which is so their their audience base is about half the size of of Netflix's at the moment. 
Um, but yeah, the, the market doesn't really care that they're making such massive losses at theme parks because Disney Plus is so great, and because that's uh, yeah, it's more forward-looking. The market's forward-looking, and that's that's a new avenue for growth for Disney is streaming. Yeah, and I think the the fact that it's not just Disney that the, is it's such a exciting new avenue for growth that streaming is such an exciting new avenue for growth. The fact that television in general is becoming so much better, it's almost begs the question, why would you go to the cinema again? I mean, I honestly don't think I can see myself going to the cinema after coronavirus. I was never much of a fan of cinema anyway. But now that the quality of content on the television is so amazing, I mean, there's no difference anymore between between the quality of a television series and the quality of a film. I mean, WandaVision is just the, the graphics, the CGI, everything is just as good as the big Marvel blockbusters. So so why will pe- will people continue to go to the cinema in in their droves in the same way as they did before now that there is so much content on on the streaming services? And the fact that Disney Disney's um two studios it's 21st century fox and buena vista are between them the biggest cinema film makers in the world means that they just have so much content that they can put they can host wherever they like it gives them such a stronghold over the cinemas as well which is an argument it was the big argument behind them not being allowed to buy fox um because they already had such a stronghold over the cinemas and giving them the Fox content, content as well, allows them to go to the cinemas and pretty much ask for whatever whatever price they want to. And uh, But they've got Fox, they've got all their brands, and I just can't see what's going to stop them growing. No, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to be a cinema <laughs> negotiating with someone like, like Disney. I mean, you know, these are ambitious plans, though. I mean, you know, doubling the size of the audience... It is heavily loss making. Um, you know, does 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 making this a profitable service mean that the price is going to keep going up and up and up? As we've seen, you know, from some of the other streaming firms, is content just going to keep getting more and more expensive? Um, you know, does Disney have some kind of advantage there um, over over the Netflixes and Amazons? You know, they, they, there's a lot it has going for it, but it's it's a very difficult market. I think that is the main advantage it has over Netflix and Amazon: the fact that it owns its own content and neither. Amazon Amazon doesn't really doesn't have a huge film studio and Netflix Netflix's studio is is quite small. I mean Netflix is there are some there's some good original content on Netflix but it's it's a fraction of the size of of the studio of Disney Studios. So I think the fact that it owns its own content will give it slightly more flexibility in the price. Netflix has obviously put up its price quite recently too. It's a lot more expensive than Disney and there is a lot more content on it at the moment than Disney but maybe there will come a point where a tipping point where people think actually maybe I don't need all of these services. Certainly more political point, I can tell you one thing for sure. The price of Disney, Netflix and Amazon is quite a lot better value than the price of your TV licence. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of people who would agree with you and lots of people who would disagree with you. So what what, what are we looking forward to watching? Uh, I mean, WandaVision isn't quite finished yet, so I'm looking forward to the end of that. I am looking forward to the end of that. I, I'm just, I just like watching... Oh, classics! You on like there. the old stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I've watched Ratatouille ten times in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> What's your? Um, what are you looking forward to, Lauren? I'm looking forward to some of the more um, some more Star Wars series. Um, but I, I, I was quite, it's quite frustrating for me because I'm of, of all the Marvel universes, I'm the biggest fan of, of Spider Man, 
And because Sony still has um, some cinema rights to Spider-Man, it's not actually on Disney Plus. So none of the none of the Tobey Maguire films or the Andrew Garfield films or the more current ones are on there. Um, and neither is the Spider-Verse one, which is that animated one that came out a couple of years ago. So mm. a bit Do frustrating you- for me. I feel a bit starved. The Spider-Verse film was the other reason I bought Disney Plus. Yeah. So I got home and I turned turned it on, got home, because you have to take these things home now. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I bought it in a shop. Uh, um, and I, I turned it on and I spent about 10 minutes hunting around for the Spider-Verse. And of course, it wasn't on there. Um, never mind. I'm looking forward to, to Star Wars stuff too, particularly the Boba Fett series. Yeah. yeah. Love Boba Fett. Mm. Am I allowed to love Boba Fett? Who knows? Who knows? Is he a goodie or a baddie? Who knows? Um, So talking of content, we spoke to film critic Clarice Lowry for her opinion on what Disney is doing particularly well from a creative point of view at the moment. If we could start with with Marvel, if 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 we could, a big question. But what do you what do you think in general of the franchise? They've been phenomenally successful. what do you put that down to when you know they they've done it better than other other films in the superhero genre as well well it's it's really interesting to look at the map of the modern blockbuster because i mean nine eleven was a really sort of oddly pivotal moment in filmmaking because there was a sudden desire to be quite introspective to to be more grounded to think okay it's not the time to you know be flippant and play around and be silly and have bright colors and you get films like the Bourne trilogy and and you get the Christopher Nolan Batman movies but then I think what was interesting was seeing Marvel come in and and bring I would argue some, something of a, a, a balance, a bit of a response to that, but also a balance because what Marvel does so well is that it combines both sides. It's, <laughs> I mean, I know lots of people joke about DC struggling sometimes because they love to make movies that are, are, are over the top, dark and gritty and, and grumbling. Um, but I think what Marvel's done quite well is to, is to have a bit of a color and, and lightness and joy and to have this idea of these heroes that are going to come and make everything okay, but also to take those characters very seriously so that people become, you know, incredibly invested in them. And, and that's how you get all the way up to Endgame, where you could bring, you know, years worth of characters together and and everyone instantly understands and is instantly emotionally invested instantly hooked like that is really impressive to me I feel like no matter how anyone feels about comic book movies you have to sort of respect the the sort of years of building that they put into this genres do sort of go come in and out of fashion I mean people always talk about how westerns you know they were you know, you never see them anymore. And they were at once, you know, the biggest thing on the biggest thing on, on the big screen. So I just wonder if you got your crystal ball out, do you see a time maybe in the near future where we kind of fall out of love with superhero, the superhero genre? Oh, definitely. Because I, I think the popularity of the superhero genre has a lot to do with the, the practicalities of, of what Hollywood is right now. 
where it's all about who's got the biggest budget, who can have the most magnificent, expensive, spectacular effects. And obviously that lends so well to the superhero genre. And so I, I do wonder, you know, with the effects of, of the pandemic and perhaps other changes in Hollywood, there might be a point where the budget can't be the priority anymore. Maybe just Hollywood isn't going to be able to put up that amount of money each time and and we'll have to to turn away and, and go focus on something else, maybe something a bit smaller or or a different tone or just something that isn't so effects focused in a way. Disney's other one of their other massive franchises is Star Wars. They they've got Star Wars on board and um I wondered just what you've thought of that of that reboot and um yeah, the Mandalorian as well. That really carried Disney Plus through its first year. Um, so yeah, what was what was your thoughts on that? Well, I'm I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming in with the very strong. I I love all of this. I I really love the the world of Star Wars, but I I think that Disney Plus did do a brilliant job with the Mandalorian because it it proved that. Again, you could take this thing, these these huge budgets of these gigantic movies, like humongous movies that are having to to take in just billions of dollars to <laughs> make sense or to, to to justify their existence. And just to be able to scale that down a little bit and to to take a little bit of the spectacle away and actually focus more on on the storylines and the characters and, and even more simple things like the production design, I thought on the Mandalorian was, was really beautifully done. That I think is both impressive and a really good sign for the future. Comparing it to, uh, to Netflix at the moment, there's a lot less original, uh, original productions on Disney plus, um, Although they have now introduced this new star service, um, I don't know if you've if you've seen anything that's on there yet. Um, but if you had, um, do you think there's anything there that can get us excited about sort of Disney's original productions outside of their big franchises? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I haven't been able to watch any of the the original disney star stuff i think i've been very distracted by all the (laughs) existing properties that have suddenly been uh i don't want to say dumped because that sounds like a cruel world (laughs) word but um that have suddenly appeared on the streaming service so unfortunately i haven't i i don't know if the disney star stuff will ever be able to compete with what's on the main Disney Plus, because I do wonder whether this streaming service as a whole is ever going to be able to shake out of this idea that you get it for the kids, right? You, you get it because you need something to put your children in front of. <laughs> Just finally, back to Marvel um, and Disney Plus's new, newest, um, newest series, WandaVision. What, what have you thought of that? I'm watching it. And if I'm honest, I'm, I'm totally confused, but kind of enjoying it. So, um, but I'm not up to date, so maybe, maybe I'm uh, missing out on a bit, but yeah, um, it, that's been quite an, quite an interesting project. I wondered what you thought of that. My favorite thing about WandaVision has been the, the weekly episodes. I know that there's some disagreement on this, but I, I don't think WandaVision would be as popular as it is 
at least in in my world, everyone I know is watching it. Like even my family are watching it, and they don't barely know what Marvel is. <laughs> um, and because it's just so nice at the moment, you know, at this time when we're all separated from each other, to have this weekly ritual of everyone I know every single Friday morning just sits down and watches watches this TV show, and then we all spend a couple of hours afterwards dissecting it. <laughs> I think that's that's been great and I really really hope that Disney Plus keep going with the weekly episodes and I would love it if other streaming services also started to adopt it because it's really bringing back that communal idea of TV again uh but yeah just in terms of WandaVision I'm I'm hooked <laughs> I'm really enjoying it I I want to know how it turns out and I'm counting down the days until Friday Okay, so we've touched on them a bit, the competing um, services, the competing streaming services. There are, and uh, producer John has listed um, some of the big hits of Netflix, Amazon, and and actually even Apple TV um, of the last year. And there are some, there have been some, some good... uh, some good content on on those as well, especially on Netflix. Some of the original um, series on Netflix are are good too. I particularly enjoyed The Queen's Gambit. I thought that was great. I haven't watched that. Like The Crown. Um, Do you like The Crown? The reason I bought Netflix in the first place was Breaking Bad because it was all streamed on there. That's still a really big selling point for Netflix, Breaking yeah. Bad and Friends. Yeah. They've got a lot of old shows on there that, yeah, people just binge as, I guess, comfort watching like The Office, um, Parks and Rec. Not necessarily just their new stuff that's keeping people subscribed. Mm. It's an interesting strategy, that, isn't it? Because I suppose they're not winning new um, subscribers with the old Mm. stuff anymore, um, but maybe they're keeping subscribers with the old stuff. Um, Yeah, one of the reasons that I probably wouldn't cancel my Netflix subscription is when in doubt... Friends will do, or all the office, or Modern Family, or something. There's always something on there which you can rely on being good, um, which is easy watching. Have it on in the background. I suppose that's replacing the just turn on the TV, um, where Disney maybe isn't so much a turn on the TV situation. Mm-hmm. It's more about I'm going to sit down and watch this extremely high quality yeah, piece but, of content. But I suppose like, again, that's D- Disney Star, the, the new service that's also introducing like stuff like Grey's Anatomy, which you can binge watch for i don't know how many years that show has gone on for but probably get you through at least the winter if you've got that going on in the background um, I, don't, I don't watch streaming like that i mean if i if i turn it on i want to watch something i'd have a hunt around but like i, I you know if i want to just leave the telly on i'll leave the telly on yeah see i don't have i don't have the telly <laughs> i hear <The> telly. <laughs> I, I i have a i actually have an amazon um box i have an amazon what are they called cube and that's that's how I get my telly. So all of my telly is streaming. I don't I don't have any terrestrial channels, mm. and I haven't I don't miss them because I can watch the rugby on on BBC iPlayer or on, on the ITV Hub. Um, I, I guess so. I mean, you know, most of what's on daytime TV, TV over the weekend, it's it's junk. Yeah, it's junk. But then most of what is on a lot of these streaming services is junk as well. I think it's less junk than what's on 
daytime TV? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, you're a bit younger than me, both of you. Um, and I don't know if you remember, like, going to a video shop in the 1980s, but that's how Netflix feels to me. I don't remember it in the 80s, but I do remember <laughs> it in the 90s. <laughs> but, you know, there's one shelf of stuff you might want to watch and then, like, a, a dozen shelves of, like, how did that ever get made? That is one of my very favourite business stories, um, which I I use it quite a lot, actually, when I write about the media industry. When Reed Hastings, who obviously was one of the early founders of Netflix, um, went to the chief executive of Blockbuster and said, do you want to do some sort of deal? We will provide the the video on demand thing you provide the actual videos um we'll package them out and send them to send them to people because people will want them at home and the chief executive of blockbuster said no no one's going to sign up to that people like coming into store obviously blockbuster is a (laughs) held up as a poster company for not being not rolling with the times Um, no but, but then you know but then i guess the point i'm making is that you know ultimately a lot of bad content doesn't feel like a great future-proof business and, and and actually the cost of making really good content when everybody's out there trying to make really good content i don't somebody's got to lose here do you think it will be one of the streaming companies though or do you think it's going to be the the normal telly do you think it's going to be sky and bt who are now having to compete quite heavily for sports rights with amazon amazon certainly making strides into the sports market and and in the US, the cable companies, they're struggling badly. I think, Lauren, you wrote a piece about that quite recently. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think that um, people don't want to have to keep going to 50 different places to, to basically do the same thing as just watch TV um, and dress it up how you like. It's, it's essentially just sitting in front of a screen and <laughs> consuming content. So, I mean, people don't want to have to switch and pay 100 different subscriptions to do that. Um, I think I think... There, there will be some streaming services that do fall away with the wayside. Um, I don't think, to be honest, I don't, I don't think Amazon Prime is great. I think the user experience in Amazon Prime is rubbish. Um, it can be really confusing when you search for a show, and then you know a whole bunch of stuff comes up, and then it's not quite clear what you've paid for and what you have to pay extra for to get access to to download a film. So, although it has, it has made, it has made really good progress with kind of getting sports, sports licensing, uh, but yeah, broadcasting rights for sports. Um, it still hasn't got the UX done. I don't, I don't really know why, because Amazon should... It's got the sources. It's definitely got the funds to, to kind of pin that down. But it's kind of failed at that. And the same with Apple TV. I mean, it's not really taken off properly. Um, Apple, again, has got loads of money to fund really good content. And, I mean, it launched with a show that I think starred really big names like Jennifer Aniston and, and Reese Witherspoon. Um, but, again, it's not really done a great job at convincing Apple users to subscribe to their... Apple One subscription service and get access to that. It's not Apple TV again. Is kind of a bit of a yeah. It's not really taken off as much as I th- I would have thought it would have done because Apple's so good at everything else that it does. Mm, yeah, I think that's. I, I suppose that is an interesting difference between the companies which content was at its heart and Netflix, for, even for Netflix, content was at its heart even when it founded. And Amazon and Apple, yeah. it has they content's been a bolt on rather than actually what what the start of the company was and for disney and also for the for the big for the big uh production companies like AT&T which obviously now has its own streaming service as well they have content right at the heart of the product which maybe it might make them fare better than than the Amazon Prime or the Apple TV 
and certainly then the, the Britbox um, fiasco, which that can't be attracting many, <laughs> many subscribers. There's something else that does something similar to that. Anyway, it's called Acorn, Acorn TV, yeah. which uh, mm-hmm. I think it's very, very well known, but it seems to do exactly the same thing. I, mm. I'm not quite sure what, what Britbox's advantage is. I mean, the thing about Amazon, I mean, yeah, I think you're right, Lauren, the, the, you know, the experience when trying to find content is a bit, is a bit shonky, but I don't, I don't even think about Amazon as like a TV service. That's not why I pay for it. I've got Amazon Prime. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's just everything. Um, and, you know, if there's something great on there, and they have had some great stuff, um, one of my favourite programmes of, uh, of recent times, which is The Boys, um, then, 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 that, then, then it's a bonus. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't, I have Amazon Prime for other reasons. I found out the other day that I get music on my Amazon Prime as yeah. well. Didn't know that until yeah. <laughs> until the weekend when I stumbled upon it, um, and yeah, I'm I'm probably not going to cancel Amazon Prime. And also because I pay for my Prime anyway, if I really really want to watch something, like for example the other day I really wanted to watch Harry Potter, I just paid an extra two quid to rent it, and it didn't feel like a massively bad thing to do. I mean, I don't. It's annoying when you've paid your Amazon Prime and then you search the film and then it says an extra £10, please. And no, I'm not going to do that. But the odd £2 here and there to rent a film, I actually, I like that as a fallback for when I'm really desperate to watch something. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, and that's what Amazon's trying to do. They're trying to get you to spend a bit more money. That's, that's their business model. Why not? It, it kind of makes sense um, in, some, in some senses rather than just giving everything away. Um, there's, no, there's no premium, there's no... Um, you know, non-premium in in, in Netflix's catalogue, really. No. It's, 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 um, it's one price. I mean, Apple don't seem to have invested anywhere near enough to actually get this thing off the no, ground. They must have paid quite a lot for Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston. This is what I don't understand. They, why are they spending so much on on superstar actors and actresses? And that's the thing that I think Netflix is getting right because some of the cast of um, of some of its big hits, like Bridgerton recently... And, okay, The Crown has a lot of famous faces in it. Um, And Snowpiercer, which I'm watching at the moment, there's hardly any recognisable actors or actresses in it. And they're all amazing. It's actually really refreshing to not have Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell, however much I like them. But the quality of the content, they, they, Netflix seems to be spending more on its special effects and its CGI than it is on its stars. And that seems like a great idea because it's ending up with better content for for it. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. My other big pro- favourite programme, which is also on Prime, is uh, The Expanse. And I don't know anyone who's in that. But who cares what I like watching? Because actually, uh, this is a show about money, uh, really, and, and how this is translating. Not your normal one, though. Not your normal one, show. Um, but um, we want to know how this all translates into business and share price growth. And, and Lauren, you spoke to someone this week. Uh, who, whose job that is? Who's that? Yeah, I spoke to Walter Price, who uh, manages the Allianz Technology Trust uh, this Friday. And yeah, we, we spoke a little bit about the topics, um, including Disney Plus and, and, and Apple. Cool. Let's have a listen. I guess maybe the, the best place to start is perhaps Disney Plus, um, only because it's one of the hottest names in the market at the minute. Um, and it's, it's obviously grown incredibly fast but I mean how much of that do you think kind of lucky timing by launching just before a lot of the lockdowns started in in the west at least yeah I mean it's good to have a digital offering in a time when people aren't going to theme parks or movies anymore so Mm -hmm. um, 
if you weren't lucky enough to have one, you better have one. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think initially we, we own some Netflix, we don't own Disney, but, um, we think both of them are going to be successful. Netflix obviously has been successful and is further along the international uh, internationalization of its content generation than, than Disney is. Has you know twice as many subscribers around the world, but you know I, I think that uh, both companies. I mean, streaming is just a better way to view content, in my view, uh, than linear TV. So. Um, I think it's the consumers tried it and likes it and they're, they're voting with their time. And I, I think um, you'll, you'll see a, a group of companies that are able to uh, establish a separate channel and get the consumer interested enough to continue to uh, subscribe to that channel uh, and generate enough content to keep them engaged. And I think those companies will be successful, but I don't think it'll be every company that has a streaming offering. Uh, and I think uh, many of those companies will, will uh, I, I guess you might say, have to reconsider their strategy in 2021. Mm-hmm. I suppose I suppose some people find the issue with Disney is that there isn't enough exclusive new content to, to maybe uh, justify keeping on with the subscription fee. I mean, do, do you think that they're going to be able to, to compete? Because Netflix seems like it has like an endless bank of new content constantly coming out. Um, so do you think it's Disney's going to be able to kind of a hold on to the subscribers that it that it managed to uh, bag during lockdown, and b kind of continue in that in that trajectory? Well, I think there are two core parts of Disney's subscribers. One is uh, kids, and Disney's the best in the world at generating kids content. And the interesting thing about kids is they can watch the same movie ten times, uh, and uh, you know, and it's a great a babysitting device. So, you know, I, I think uh, I, I I don't worry about their uh, leadership in, in the in the children's category, young 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 people's category. With res- the other big uh, area at Disney uh, from the consumer content is uh, you know the the Marvel content, and they have uh, you know they're just very good at generating Marvel and Star Wars. And so I, you know, I think that content has a significant fan base around the world and, uh, you know, Disney's mining that fan base and I think they're doing a great job at it. So those are two core bases that they're, that they, nobody else has. And, um, then it becomes a question of, you know, can they add to those core core bases? Like, you know, the other base they have is ESPN and, ESPN also has a subscription offering. It's it's not as expensive, and I think for somebody that's uh, like sport, you know, that can be a good offering, and that can be a, a you know, I, I think sports is a category that can, can be combined into an offering, uh, as we've seen with uh, linear TV, so or cable or satellite TV. So I, you know, I think those are three areas that Disney's strong in. Uh, so I, I I don't worry about the durability of Disney. Mm-hmm. And as you say, kind of Netflix has been internationalizing its, its content a lot more. And I, I guess the same could be, could be said of Spotify as well. I mean, I think that it was entering, I don't know, I think it was around 85 new markets uh, earlier this week. Um, so how, how do you think, I mean, I, th- I think I read a report earlier this week that said most of um, Disney subscribers are based in the US. 
when do you think that Disney's going to start kind of prioritizing that international growth um, so that it can compete with, with the likes of Netflix if it wants to be as big as Netflix by 2024? Um, I mean, I think they're already prioritizing it. It just takes a while to, uh, you know, to localize the content. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in uh, international, uh, I mean, Netflix has done a great job of not only having uh, dubbed content with different languages. So they have a, you know, a pretty effective, I mean, some movies are better than others, but mm-hmm. Uh, you know, clearly people would rather watch something in their own language than read the subtitles. Um, and, you know, if they're watching it on a mobile phone, it, it's hard to read the subtitles. So, you know, I think, um, you know, that's something that Netflix has learned to, you know, have local content. It's cheaper actually to, to generate local content. And if you, uh, if you have good local content, it can travel around the world. So I think their cost of generating content and their ability to engage local users is, you know, is way ahead of Disney, but you know, I think Disney will get there. It's a really good company. Mm-hmm. And, and what about Apple? I mean, Apple's Apple TV isn't I mean, really taken off to the, to the same extent as Disney or Netflix. Um, and it's also trying to compete with Spotify by launching an exclusive podcast, which I think kind of complements one of its one of its TV shows. Um, but wh- why do you think it hasn't been as successful in streaming, or at least in Apple TV? Uh, I, you know, as I said, I don't think uh, I think people will want uh, a few of these uh, and can afford a few of these uh, streaming services, but not you know not a dozen, uh, and so. Uh, I think Apple's on the on the borderline, but um, you know Apple has the ability for the the customers of Apple, which is a billion customers, a billion people have iPhones. I mean that's that's quite a big go after. With uh, you know, I could see them having bundled offers with uh, you know music and streaming video and and uh, you know news and backup to your. Uh, to your iPhone and and so forth, leasing plans. So you know they can bundle it all in into a you know an ex, you know and get more dollars per month from their from their customer base. And I, I think that's Apple's objective. So uh, they're not a they're not a content company, but you know they're a very good company. And I think you know if they keep working at it, they'll they'll have a, a viable offering. Thanks for doing that interview, Lauren. Walter Price is always a, a good person to talk to in the in the tech scene. He he seems to know it all. We've had a question, which I suppose does link to the tech markets a little bit, um, from David in in Lowestoft. He says, "I've been reading recently that the U.S. markets may be in bubble territory. What is your view on that? And are we due due a crash?" Do you know what? I'm almost giving up thinking about this question. Um, I, I think we've been thinking about this question probably for uh, more than a year. Well, I wrote how to crash proof your portfolio because I was so sure the markets were <laughs> ready to explode in December 2018. So that was premature. Yeah, but, the, but that's what happens in bubbles. That's exactly what happens in bubbles. You know, you can see them forming, but you can never tell when they're going to pop. Um, so, so in some senses, it's almost a, it's almost a question that 
that has no meaning. No. Um, Sorry, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, because, I mean, you know, you can be in a bubble and you can be looking at a share, uh, a share price. Now, let's just say Tesla, for example. And, and there is nothing on earth, no rational way of looking at that share price and justifying it. But it will still keep going higher. Yeah. So, so, so when I say it's a meaningless question, the question is, is, is only meaningless because, it, uh, yeah, we might be in a bubble, but it won't stop that bubble getting even bigger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I do think there are enough signs now, though, as in even the last few weeks, that when the crash does eventually come, we'll look back on it and say, well, obviously, that was going to that was going to be the end or the start of the end, maybe, because what's been happening with Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin is is just absurd. The the price of Bitcoin going surging higher, institutions piling into it and making people excited that it's a legitimate investment case. And really, there is still no legitimacy or very little legitimacy in the Bitcoin uh, in the Bitcoin surge. We've been talking today about the fact that there's a lot of fraud going on in the crypto market. There's obviously huge questions about the uh, the ESG credentials of investing in Bitcoin, which aren't really there at all if you care about the environment. It has the energy consumption of Argentina, apparently, at the moment because of how how much is being mined. Um, I heard it was Switzerland. It was Switzerland, but now it's gone up <laughs> because it's being mined even more now. Oh, right. so, it's, so at some point it's going to be of, of China. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Um, and then we have what's going on in the bond market. And obviously Warren Buffett has uh, has been speaking recently about the fact that he's wary of, of, uh, of the bond market. Um, and, yeah, we have company valuations. And, I, Lauren, I suppose a lot of those other are in the kind of sphere that you look at. Yes, but I suppose it's a difficult question whether or not U.S. markets are in a bubble because it doesn't. I mean, most of the S and P 500, about about a fifth of it, is about the same five tech stocks. So, I mean, tech definitely could be signs that 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 sector is in a bubble, but perhaps not all of the all of the market. So, yeah, now might be a good time to have a look at those companies and see whether or not their their just their valuations really look justifiable. I mean, we we looked at Apple in October. Uh, last year, which you can which you can read if you subscribe to the site, but um, yeah, it, it might be worth looking at some of those big names and and checking in whether or not they're going to be able to keep up with the growth that they that their share price has kind of performed last year. Yeah, and I think that is I think it's true to look at the fact that there are those big names in the sector, which maybe maybe they don't justify the valuations that they have, but they it's hard to see them not continuing to grow um and as you said we we are we're not sure about apple but i'm relatively certain that amazon is going to continue to grow and i can't really see what's going to stop that even if the regulators do 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 uh, tighten their hold on amazon and alphabet and and facebook but they're still very very interesting companies and they're and they're still they've still i think got a very bright future companies that are on ratings that three four years ago you'd have thought that's crazy i'm not paying that adobe well disney even i mean in disney's case the the standard valuation is kind of mucked up a little by the fact that it's uh it's been knocked so badly by the pandemic and its forecasts aren't brilliant but it's still 
even if you adjust, even if you make some adjustments, it's still on quite a, a hefty valuation for for a company that's growing at the pace that it is. But you still think, well, actually, if the markets have come untethered from stat, from typical valuation valuation metrics, maybe we're valuing companies in the wrong way. We're not valuing them correctly for for the digital age. Which, which was something Algie Hall uh, covered in his, his recent uh, mega feature, uh, Finding Hidden Value, um, the effect of intangibles on how we value companies and how it's not really been adjusted for. And, and intangibles being what well, all these companies, software and content, are really trading in. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think we're seeing bumbles in certain assets, definitely, but I yeah. don't think it's across the board. So, so you know, we are going to see lots of headlines in the news when, you know, about stock markets getting too hot, Bitcoin going through the roof, and then there's going to be a crash. And we're going to see lots of headlines about markets, you know, falling out of bed. Um, but but they're treating it as a marginless hole. And, you know, what we're, what we're here for is to actually go, actually, there's lots of sort of discrete stories within that. And there's lots of things that are quite reasonably priced and lots of things that mm. aren't in bubble territory. Yeah, absolutely. And and I th- that, my opinion is those are the things that you should be looking for, even if it's tempting to leap on Bitcoin and make a thousand dollars overnight it's that's maybe not the most sensible thing to do and and it's always the case in markets that you should be looking to the long term so if you're going to need to draw down your pension or you desperately need that money in five years time then yeah maybe maybe the markets are are not the best place for you right now but there's also loads and loads of companies out there which will making very good use of your capital the one thing that i would say as well though about not treating the markets as one thing and one but it, it is something that people should be very wary of is the role of passives, which means that if there is a little bit of a wobble, it is quite likely because of the huge volume of passive money in the markets that if they do start to wobble, the whole passive system could unwind and money could start flowing out very, very quickly. So that's where it may be worth being a little bit wary of the fact that even though there are brilliant names like Amazon, which shouldn't suffer a hit, they would be caught up in any kind of passive outflow because they contribute a huge amount of the passive volume. Yeah, I, mean, I, just, I just think that there's so many things that are, are on a knife edge at the moment, so, so much fragility in so many places that you know we are, we're going to see something and it's going to hit, hit, hit lots of things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride. But, um, but, but you know what we also know about bubbles and, and and investing and the long term is that they don't, they, you know, the crash doesn't last forever, just mm-hmm. like the bubble. Um, which is why why this is a, a long lifelong journey to investing. Uh, it's not a it's not a thrill ride. It shouldn't be. That is all we have time for in this episode. But before we finish, we need to make you aware that, excitingly, the podcast will be moving house very soon. Yes, in a few weeks' time, we will be on our brand new standalone Not To Your Normal Finance Show channel uh, on Acast. So if you want to carry on listening to myself, Megan, and uh, our IC experts, including Lauren, and occasional cameos from producer John... Hello, hello. We do love a cameo. Please remember to subscribe to us there. And because you listen to the show already, you can take up a four-week trial to the Investors Chronicle for only £4 by going to investorschronicle.co.uk forward slash not your normal trial. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.